I am the giving tree in this situation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to Irenacast. I'm your host, Jeff, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Alan. Heyo! On the first and third Tuesday of every month, we bring to you our perspectives on theology and culture from a post-evangelical lens. Thank you for joining us for another conversation to provoke your progressive Christian imagination. This week, we are going to be talking about friendship, relationship, particularly what is it? The word platonic? Platonic relationships and how to engage that. And this conversation was pretty much guided to us by a post that we put on our Facebook page that really seemed to resonate with those of you that are following us on Facebook. So we'll we'll talk about that. And then for our segment, we're going to do a top three and we're going to do top three friends or duos in pop culture, literature and just culture in general. So that's kind of the the direction that we're headed in this episode. So about I don't know, it's probably been about a month ago, Alan, who was our Facebook Meme Lord. Meme Lord, right. Uh, okay, I'm not know. a meme Lord, but yes, all for, for our sakes, yeah. <laughs> I am our meme Lord. We'll call Alan Lord Meme. And uh, he, he finds all the great stuff that we put on Facebook because I have a, I have a contentious relationship with memes, you know, picture thingies on the interwebs. Um, but it was, a, it was a screenshot of a tweet, and it says, nobody talks about Jesus's miracle of having 12 close friends in his 30s. And this seemed to resonate with a lot of people, including us, which is why... We posted it in the first place, but that is the more and more I thought about it personally, the more and more I'm like, yeah, that is kind of a miracle, especially today and here. And I think for us, it represents a longing that we have and seems to be reflective of a longing, longing of more than just us, of a lot of people, uh, especially people connected to this particular show. So we thought it'd be a great idea to have an episode around this particular subject, not a how-to guide. Let's get that out of the way real quick. You know, we're not here going to, yeah. we're not going to give you a tutorial on how to make how friends. To make friends and influence people. Exactly. <laughs> get rich. Um, but talk about that longing and what it's meant for us and, and invite all of you to share with what it's meant for you. So um, I think I think that it's a cultural longing. I see the show Friends and I see the show How I Met Your Mother as cries for help. <laughs> it's like we we long for something that we know is wrong to have that kind of community and all the different characters that fit into our lives in different ways. But we don't have it. And all of us and all of us can relate to it. So I think I have some ideas as to why that is, but I don't want to jump the gun or anything. Is there anything else you need to set up for the no, for I the think conversation? That, I think that's a good place to start. I don't think we need to necessarily explore why that is. I mean, we will culturally, but Alan, why is that true for you? I, I think it I think it's true for me because for some reason we're shy about I'm shy. Yeah, I think in these conversations, it has to be about me, right? I can't speak for anyone else, but I'm shy about recognizing the purposes of my friendships. There's a video out there, School of Life or something, that talks about naming and recognizing the different purposes in relationships. And we we almost feel like our relationships have to be like, I like you, and there's no other pur- purpose for us being together than I just like you, right? Like That has to be what a friendship is. But there are different kinds of friends. You look at How I Met Your Mother. Do they all relate to each other in the same way? <laughs> does Robin fill that need for Ted the same way Barney does? No, they have like different. That's what's <laughs> exciting. They all have different things coming to the table. And I think getting really clear about what we need or 
what kinds of friendships we appreciate and what their purposes are for might help us in the long run build better friendships. Because there are some people I'm friends with that I probably should just cut off because (laughs) there is like no purpose in even having the friendship that we do. I think we can probably all relate to that, right? People in, in our lives that we've been connected to that, um, sometimes they're not even nice, you know, (laughs) sometimes they don't even, they're not bought into your goodness in general, or, uh, they secretly want you to fail even or something like that. And calling it what it is, being clear about boundaries and clear about the purpose of a friendship is, is helpful. So in this video I watched, there's friends, friends who are collaborators, Jeff, you are my collaborating friend. Cause we work together, right? Right. We have a purpose. <laughs> and like this, this friendship is it, it's really cool. Cause we work on stuff together and there's an element of that. There are different friends who are re- reassuring for us. They reassure us by sharing their stories of their failures or follies. And, and basically they show us compassion. I think in a Christian context of St. Bridget in fifth century Celtic Christianity, she talked about the soul friend, the Anamkara, someone who is a compassionate presence. But then there's those friends who are super fun. I think before of, you, before you move on, Alan, just yeah. real quick, I love that in the conversation about contemporary relationships, <laughs> you found <laughs> an obscure. <laughs> it's not obscure to me. <laughs> I just love that. Anyway, continue Dude, on. When Sorry. I think about people who are reassuring friends, I think about soul friends. I I studied Celtic Christianity as like a healing. I tried to heal my Western Christianity by studying Celtic Christianity, and I found it really life giving. So, anyway, yeah, look up Anamkara. If you're How I Met it. Your Mother and Celtic Christianity. There's oh, the subtitle yes. of this episode. So I'm, I'm the weird friend who throws in weird facts and stuff. I, I know my place. <laughs> then there's other friends who help us clarify what we're thinking, like that friend you talk to and you're processing all this stuff and they're listening to you and maybe mirroring back a little bit of what you're saying. And then um, they didn't say this in the episode, but I think of old friends, you know, like people from your past when you're in high school or your your former self, they help you keep a continuity in your life to remind you of who you were, where you came from, what you're doing now to like introduce yourself to yourself almost. You know how when you hang out with your friends and you start acting like you used to and yeah. it's really subtle or maybe really obvious. That's what those friends do for us. Uh, so e- each friendship has like a purpose to it. And it somehow seems unglamorous to kind of name it in our minds or recognize it, but clarifying why we hang out with people at least a little bit and being willing to set boundaries with people who may or may not even benefit or us benefit from spending time together like that. And maybe it's not as, as sexy or as TV show worthy, but that's probably why our friendships are so bonkers. You go to a dinner and people like, you know, talk about different things and somehow you just don't connect to stuff. Maybe it's because we're not, we don't have a purpose for why we are connected to the people that we're connected to. Well, and I think that there's also a disjointed experience, right? Like if you are someone who lived in a town and then went off to college, most likely you're not going to end up back in your hometown. You're going to end up into another place outside of college if that's your trajectory. So that's one experience of relationships. And then you have all these like eras based on location in your life and relationships and how you've changed and how they've changed and keeping track of all that and then coming to a new place. And then you have people who they live in the same hometown most, if not their whole life. And they know, you know, this person and that person. 
Uh, so you have all these different contexts, spaces of relationship that make things difficult the more often they change in your life. And how do you manage that? And that seems to be a relatively like modern invention, right? That's not, yeah. that's not been the case. Uh, at least in the history of, I mean, people were, were more migratory a, a lot longer ago, but at least for us in the West, it's a newer invention because we used to have rooted communities, right? Where people grew up together. There's actually an interesting study that was done sometime in the 2000s, 2013, where they studied people's happiness with whether they had a lot of, uh, investment in like a small group of close friends or they invested their time in a wide group of friends who may be far away. And what they found was in cities where there's not a lot of mobility where people just stay where they live, there's not a lot of moving in and out. It actually benefits a person's happiness to form bonds with a small group of really close friends. But in cities where there's a lot of mobility, people move in and out and they're transitional Happiness is actually directly correlated to having a wider group of people who live further away. So it's actually counterintuitive. We used to say, like, you know, have a small group of close friends because that's what matters. When in reality, for for our, I hated L.A., dude. <laughs> I lived, and I, you know, if you live in L.A. and you love it, that's fantastic. For me, I grew up in a small town. Nobody came and went. Like I knew everyone growing up. Um, and then moving to L.A., it was like people are so transitional, moving constantly, and uh, it just drove me nuts. But they say that your, your happiness is correlated to having a wider group of far away friends, which is really interesting. That is interesting because that seems to be – I don't know. It, it, it seems to me, anecdotally at least, the widespread connection that we can have with all these people, there seems to be this desire to find a f- smaller niche – uh, especially in this space, this like middle ground progressive Christian space, there's a lot of talk of like finding my tribe and, you know, finding my people and, you know, trying in the midst of all these stories and all these voices that are that are out in the ether to try to find one that's more relatable to them. And I think that the problem there is like, how do you then how do you cultivate relationships that that do push you and challenge you that don't just keep you in the same place over and over again. I don't know. It's a, it's a complicated issue, but, but I think it's probably complicated for me and maybe for you, Alan is by the very nature of our role as, as ministers, right? Definitely. Because that's, it puts us in a different place where friendships are always had to be always outside of our community in a certain way, or at least encouraged where you can never be too vulnerable or too open with people in, in the church because you were in a specific place of leadership and you need to be above reproach or whatever you want to say. Or, or on the you. other side of it, all the relationships are transactional. Right. I mean, you're getting something for the relationship that you have with people in your congregation, whether that's a job security or I don't know, or making your job easier or um, that's a really cynical way to look at it. But, but it's true. It's absolutely true. Um, you can't. I, had a friend, I had a friend call me up randomly and they're like, I'm so tired of, of making all these connections with people. It's just all transactional all the time. I just want to contact people. I really believe in what they're doing and, and they strike me as really cool people. So let's have a conversation. And I was like, you know what? I love that. Maybe that's what I need to do. Find people that it's not a transactional thing, but I really connect with either what they're doing or them as people and invest in those connections. But 
Yeah, but but even work. even in that place, you found out about them from a place of like they're out there in some way, shape, or form. So it's just a reverse dynamic. All you're doing is reaching out to someone that you see as an authority or fun, and for them, it might be very much transactional. Right. So how? So I'm saying for me, I need to just find people that I that we all should be doing that and and clarifying why we're doing what we're doing. You know what I mean? And and rather than like being honest is I guess what I'm trying to arrive at. Being honest with why we're forming the with ourselves too, why we form the relationships that we do, and also investing our time in people that are going to pour into us, or not even pour into us, that we just believe in what they're doing, or in them as people. That's hard for me in ministry because in ministry you're supposed to love everybody, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Like regardless, you're supposed to be able to form these deep relational bonds with everyone in your congregation, everyone on the street who walks up. Well, you were talking earlier about that kind of, from the video you saw, that floater, the person who's just in your life because of life circumstances that really you're an acquaintance with, but you don't have any real connection with. And when you really boil it down, they're just kind of a negative pull on your life. And most people can just be like, you know what, I just unfriend them and disconnect. And then over time, you just forget about it. But what if they were a part of, what if you were their pastor? (laughs) You know what I mean? Then what do you do? It's like, oh, I mean, I don't like this person or where there's no connection. That's just, but I was their pastor. So what do I do? And that's why it's really important to be clear about pastoral boundaries. So it's not just about, you know, forming friendships with people in your church or getting into intimate relationships being a bad thing. It's also protection for you and for them in the long run, you know? So if you have to act like a friend to someone rather than their pastor, that never ends, right? When you leave, there's an expectation that you'll continue their, your friendship rather than a pastoral relationship. And so being friendly, being kind, but also being clear about who you are as a pastor actually benefits you in that way. And that's what I kind of mean by building boundaries with people. We rarely maintain good boundaries with other people in our work or in our orbit, right? When they're orbiting around, orbiting in our lives. Right. You know, in that video, it says someone may secretly enjoy seeing you fail. Like they don't even necessarily know consciously, or maybe it's deep down somewhere in there, but they're still kind of in your life. Have you seen that? Speaking of memes, I guess I, I am a meme lord. That meme where there's a, a guy that says, I can't tell if that's true friendship or just really hateful. (laughs) I've always loved that because it's so true. I think human beings have struggled with like friendship requires kind of a vulnerability, right? There's a a pushback sometimes or a mirroring. And sometimes we don't like that mirror stuff to, to deal with our things with other people. And it's a tale as old as time. I think of some of the ancient wisdom that was given to the, royal people in Proverbs saying though the wounds of a friend are faithful, the kisses of the enemy are deceitful. We struggle with recognizing why someone's in a friendship with us in the first place. Are they just entertaining us or are, are, are humoring us or do they really like find a sort a sort of connection? So navigating that stuff is serious business and a lot of us don't want to spend the time actually doing it. Right. And then the, <laughs> we don't well, have the energy Right. And then there's a whole like culture to it, right? Like, I mean, the very fact that shows like How I Met Your Mother and Seinfeld exist means they're this like 
this rule or social convention rules that you have to account for in terms of like, well, do I interact this way or do I interact this way? And then if you have any semblance of insecurity, then that is like amplified a billion times because then you're imposing what you think that person thinks about you. And there's all the anxiety that goes with that, the more complex the culture is. And the only way that I found to decrease that anxiety is to be clear about what I want and need and the boundaries I'm setting up. And that's it. And just expect other people to do the same because you can't control what other people think or do <laughs> or how they're going to respond to you. You can only control what you put out there. We did talk before the, the, the recording about people who try to look at the Bible as a roadmap to friendship or something like that. And, and you, you had a concern that. Maybe it's not the greatest roadmap or. <laughs> well, I think for that very reason, right? Like relationships change based off of culture. So obviously you can, you can take the, the central themes of, you know, what the Bible says about relationship, caring for one another, putting other people's needs before yours, but not in a way that's damaging to you, but in a way that's self-aware of the things that you actually need and the things that you're just holding on to whatever. I mean, that's a whole nother conversation also, but it's you can't cut and paste it. And I think that maybe if we've if a lot of us have grown up in church as for what a friendship is, right? The number one rule is it has to be a Christian. Because if they're not a Christian, that'll never be as good of a friendship than any other friendship that you have. If in fact it didn't anything, even occur to me to talk about that in this episode. It was You're right. Well, it was it was it, it was vilified even. Like a, a non Christian friend or non Christians I was even told once should only be acquaintances until You've led them to the Lord. And then I was taught that too. We were taught, do not be unequally yoked. That's what, that's what was said in youth group and yoked being the piece of wood on two oxen that are going through the field plowing. You don't want to be yoked together, bound together with a non-believer because they're going to lead you astray into non-Christian stuff. Right. Which, which, you know, prevented a lot of like friendships um, that you could have or maintain or ruined a lot of friendships. I remember in junior high, having a conversation with, um, and I was kind of a, I wouldn't say I was an outcast, but I was, I was definitely a loner. I was a little bit shy. The, the classes that I had, most of the people in those classes were from a different elementary school. So they already all knew each other and I wasn't the kind of personality that was going to jump in there. So I made this really good friend, um, a little bit of an outsider like me, and we'd have these good conversations and stuff like that. And, uh, eventually, you know, the idea of Christianity came up cause I was in youth group and all that kind of stuff. And I remember, you know, so here's, Here's a kid who's already isolated, just like me, already feeling like a little bit off from the the rest of where everyone is. And he asked me a question about, you know, if I die tomorrow, am I going to go to hell? And I was like, yeah. Looking back, I ostracized him from like life in general, right? Because this particular way that I was taught that people need to know the truth was so prominent and so pushed forward. And it ruin that relationship. We really didn't talk that much after, even if I believed in a literal hell, like there doesn't always have to be an immediate immediacy in that relationship. You can take your time. You can get to know someone. You can just develop that over time and see where things happen. I think that a lot of times we're looking for that immediate connection, right? It's like the, the relational equivalent of the altar call where you go to the altar and God heals you and it's done. And you're in this new era of life, as opposed to this progress, this movement forward slowly, but surely. And maybe there's a time where you're disconnected and then you reconnect. And so both of us have rethought just to clarify, both of us have rethought our, our beliefs and feelings on hell for sure. And there's, we've talked about it in previous episodes, but what you're talking about is this evangelical need to make all of life about heaven and hell decisions. Like you wake up in the morning and you're like, this shirt, 
am I going to go to heaven or hell? <laughs> you know, like it, it slowly takes over everything in life. Whereas there are adolescent friendships that should be about friendships in school and stuff. And right. Just kind of life in general, rather than, you know, witnessing it every moment, are you going to go to hell? So you, you've, you've, uh, relegated normal life and normal friendships and relationships to a second tier of your existence. So it, it, it isolate it, it took your isolation and made it even more isolating because it dehumanized you and your friendships and stuff because that stuff didn't matter as much um and it isolated that other kid right so it's a it's a self-replicating kind of thing well it's it's that every every aspect of all your relationships had eternal yeah. consequences right so it right. made the the you know and even when we talked uh, you know in terms of the Bible and all that kind of stuff, there always that verse that we brought up about like foolish talk. Like if it didn't have purpose or meaning, then it was meaningless and you shouldn't engage in that. And I remember having this like really pretentious moment when I came back from this missions trip. Right. So I was, I was on, I was on the high and mighty, like, well, I went to a foreign country and I helped people. And, and I remember we were sitting down as a group of friends and we were talking, just talking, like talking about stupid things. And, and I was, and I was frustrated and I said, why do we always have to talk about this? What about the real stuff in life? You know what I mean? Like, why are we talking about something real? And I was just, it was just this real douchey moment for me. Like it was not reading the room at all. It was, this was the moment was supposed to be made for and it not every evangelical moment, right? Every, <laughs> <laughs> everything doesn't have to have a dire consequence. And I think that that dire consequence is also underlining some of that need of like, well, I have to have a good friendship. Like, so we put so much pressure and, and stuff into it that we, that it never really fully materializes because it has to be a certain way. Man, there's, there's so much to comment on that. I mean, culture in general does that. Watching How I Met Your Mother does that. Like our friendships need to be as epic as a Barney or something. Or the, the sad thing that I think about in dividing up your friends between Christian and non-Christian and you're not supposed to fraternize with the the enemy or the people who are not Christian, it isolates you not just from people but also from ideas. So when you're oh, a kid absolutely. and you're growing up and learning and you're supposed to be discovering the world, it isolates you from different ways of thinking and that creates an entire life of saying that sealing yourself off from different perspectives – is more important than people. That's kind of how I internalized it is that it was more important that I'm not exposed to the bad ways of being in the world than it is to form friendships with people who don't think like me. So p those people matter less. They matter less than my ideological purity. That's creepy as hell. Well, think it's, about it's, that. It's you're, you're telling damaging. teenagers your ideological purity is more important than the people around you. Right. And I think that that, but I think that that's a message across any group that's super niche, right? Like, or any unhealthy group that's super niche where it's like all about you're this particular person and you can only associate with these kind of people. Like it happens in, obviously it happens in Christianity. You see it happen in um, certain like internet cultures, like gamer cultures, or even like fan cultures, right? Like the whole, um, I just recently saw ready player one, but this whole thing is like, if you're a fan of this, this is exactly how you have to be a fan of it. And if you're not, then we're going to ostracize you completely from this because your connection to the people in this common group is all about the ideology. It's all about the thought. It's all about the, the notion of what this is supposed to be. And that's what your entire relationship is predicated on. And I think that that was maybe the struggle for a lot of people after you move out of a church context where it's a given and you're 
you're just going to be connected and you have that ideology. But once you separate from that ideology, then you're separating from the people and you realize that whole time that you have to not only recontextualize the things that you believe, but you have to recontextualize your relationships, which is even harder and creates a a permanent divide and then creates an anxiety the next time you want to engage a culture. Is am I really being engaged for myself or or am I here because I meet the standards of this particular ideology and as soon as I don't believe this or I'm part of this anymore, then I'm, I'm ostracized. And that's really, that's a difficult place to be in, but we're all guilty of it, right? How many, yeah. how many times are we really confused on how to handle a relationship that we had so much in common, but that person changes and how do we maneuver through that personally? So I think it's understandable, but I don't think that there are a lot of places that are, have the fortitude or self-awareness to really stop and evaluate, okay, when I get to that place, how do I then maneuver that? Like, when is it okay that the relationship drifts apart because the ideology? And when are we putting stuff forward to actually actively ostracize someone because the ideology changed? And that's, that's tough. That's tough to be self-aware of because you, you want to believe you're doing it for the right reasons. It's also hard to love people outside of their ideology as people and then to watch that stuff separate your relationship. So what what I'm hearing is that, you know, because of this meme and stuff, having friends when you're in your 30s is hard enough as it is. Being an ex-evangelical makes it a million times harder because you're leaving this community and you've had these experiences. And being a minister has its own unique things that make right. it more difficult. But everyone can relate to it. Have you ever heard of uh, Dunbar's number? It's a uh, concept by Robin Dunbar in the 90s that you can only have a certain number of friends. Have you have you heard of this before? That there's like a natural limit to your friend? I've heard that. Yeah. I didn't hear it labeled as a Dunbar right. number. But yeah. So, so there's a specific number. I guess he in the 90s, he used primates, like their groupings and stuff and the size of their brain. <laughs> this is this is like spotty science in my mind, but whatever. He He looked at primates and the size of their brains. And how many relationships they had. And then he like extrapolated thinking, well, human brains are bigger, so they should be able to have more connections. And so he came up with a certain number. Sociologist. <laughs> I know that sounds funny. I was he thinking more and like, more he, in terms of like, you only have so many hands to pick lice off the head of your friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can only nutritionally support a certain number of primates. <laughs> so he said 150 it's possible for a human being to have like the upper limit is 150 sociologists came after the fact and have provided different numbers. I've seen as high as 290. And he said that uh, the definition of this kind of friendship is the kind of person you would not feel embarrassed about joining uninvited for a drink. If you happen to bump into them at a bar. So if you just walk into a bar and you bump into someone and it's like, you're actually good enough friends that you wouldn't be embarrassed to just sit down next to them. And what are the chances that we're those that we're going to find 150 people that fit super well with us and we're going to have great relationships with, you know, the numbers dwindle We're we're not capable of it's frustrating for all of us because we're not capable of creating what we want, you know, of, of getting, of finding those people. It's hard. It's hard to find people we have things in common with and, and that not only do we care about their good. They care about ours in a mutually beneficial way. That's what the strength of a relationship is. That's super tough. Can I like, honestly, I find that when I meet new people, like when I really try to engage, I find that I'm just asking questions and that there's never like, 
well, what about you? You know? And I'm like, where, like how one-sided is this? And, but I keep going. Cause I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Like, do you, do you know how to ask questions? Do you care not to ask questions? Like, I just find it in- incredibly frustrating. My wife and I have, have had this conversation on a regular basis for probably years. for the last like five years. Yeah. Of, Cause I remember you talking about that. Yeah. Like, well, we're trying to like show interest when we're meeting people and we're, you know, we're meeting new parents because you know, when you're a parent, you, you have kid stuff and you run into people and we find that, you know, and then, then you can't help but like after a while be like, all right, is there something wrong with us? Like, do I, do I smell? Is my like, like what is my. Insecure because they're not showing interest in you. It's super so, hard. I haven't felt this insecure do you remember what since I was in junior high. Like as a parent, <laughs> it's incredibly like disheartening to be like, oh, is there something wrong with me? Like if I just, I don't know. It's weird. It's weird. Do you remember what Mona said? She, so you made that comment years ago. On this podcast, and I do not you, – you won't even be able to find it. I, I promise you. I couldn't you remember the episode. Uh, she said uh, she ran into the same thing, even in dating. She was dating and, you know, uh, doing the online thing, and she would meet people and they just wouldn't ask anything. So she started offering information about herself, and she just told herself people don't know how to ask questions and don't know how to show interest, which is, I think, true. I think we've lost, like – some sort of ability to interact with people. Maybe it's, we could, you know, say it's a societal shift or technology or whatever, but I think kind of the easiness of, of being friends and talking face to face and stuff is getting harder for all of us. So, so you know what? It's not a miracle that Jesus had 12 friends, you know, in ancient times because they were good at talking to each other. <laughs> it's only a miracle because we're the weird ones in humanity that like isolate ourselves and live alone and stuff. Maybe. I don't know. It just feels weird, right? Because then I can't put myself in a place of being like, I don't want to offer information. Then I feel like that's just weird, you know? Like, You know what? You you know what it is? Mastery of languages. Just go with me on this. To master a language, (laughs) you have to be like a kid. Rosetta Stone did a lot of research, and they, they, they see that kids are willing to experiment and mess up over and over and over. But when they make a mistake, it doesn't like negatively hit on their learning process. When adults go to learn a language, they make a mistake and they're like, oh, man, I got that wrong. They have like an internal dialogue about it. Kids, they just move right along and try again over and over. So the key to learning language is to experiment constantly and to not let your mistakes ruin the whole process. With friends... You have to be able to put yourself out there and get rejected and it not negatively affect your search for friends. So offering information about yourself, being that kind of person or doing whatever is really putting yourself out there. But it's it's almost like you got to keep doing it. I had a clergy friend who talked to me about relationships when I started dating again. And he's like, you got to put your shoes on. You just like (laughs) you got to get out there. You just got to meet people because, you know, it's not going to be solved itself. You have to start doing it. So I I think being friends to people and opening up or engaging people or offering stuff about yourself, you just got to try it, experiment, do it over and over, even if you're going to experience rejection. Yeah. And, and see, that's what we fear. Yeah. And th- well, and that's the t- tough part, right? Because it's not just work to get friends, but then it's work to maintain friends. And you're kind of like, well, which one do I do? I have a friend of mine who was uh, on one of my youth staffs who is a wonderful, is a wonderful person. And <laughs> and she would always say, uh, like, in terms of, like, getting to know people, she's like, why? 
I have friends. <laughs> like she's just like satisfied with no. This is what I have. Like why? Why I don't need new friends. <laughs> like, don't, don't try to be my friend. <laughs> just the way that she said it with just this assertiveness. It was that's awesome. <laughs> it's a it's a sentiment that's hard not to you know grab onto sometimes because you're like man this is exhausting like trying to like initiate yeah. some kind of connection and I can't imagine having the 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 uh, the added layer of like doing that with romantic relationships and trying to maneuver through that. Uh, but gosh, it's, it's like, man, okay, maybe I should just retreat to the friends that I have and, and put well, my efforts not, there. Well, we're not motivated. So the, 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 it's funny. We all recognize in that beam, like, God, we, we really wish we had better friends, but it's going to take more work than the payoff is probably going to give us. Cause the payoff is like getting to know people and then like not really caring about them or being hurt by them or rejected or whatever. So we're we're basically sitting on the couch looking at memes on Pinterest of working out and thinking it would be such a great idea to go work out, you know? And you're like, no, the payoff's not going to be good. I don't want to do all the work put into it. Well, then there's the flip side is someone really feels connected to you and you're like, eh. That's what that's, I mean. Yeah, not so much. So 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 what I mean when I say work, work, this is the scenario I envision in my head. You just hit it, nail on the head. Say I make a connection with someone and they really care about me and they really like me, but I don't like them. It's going to be work and emotional work that is taxing as hell to put boundaries up to say like, Hey, it's really nice to meet you, but no, I don't want to meet up. It's like, so like that kind of, and that's what I started this conversation with. You have to be brutally honest about your feelings. If you're going to start building good, lasting, meaningful relationships, you can't just like pretend things are great or, fill your life with all these like relationships that seem great, but they're really not like, just be, just be honest about where you're at and unapologetic about where you're at and be a kind person. Of course, that I takes that's a lot the, of, that's the balance that people have a tough time with, work. right? Like being honest and setting boundaries in a kind way or still feeling like you're kind. Cause I think that's the problem. It's not that you're not being kind. You're being more kind by setting boundaries than you're not, but it's yes. that feeling of, Oh no, I didn't want them to feel this way or, Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have this weird sense of politeness. You're scared. You're scared that you're going to meet someone that you have to do that with, and that is that that makes sense because I feel that too. But it makes sense. Yeah. Well, maybe I think that maybe for me that's never an issue of not getting to know someone. I don't. I don't know why. Like I, maybe I'm just fine with ghosting people. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> you know, I, to me, like. It, and and again, this is, I think, part of this, this is such like a personalized experience, right? So each of us, you and I have probably have more in common in this experience because of the nature of our position, right? You can't, you can't ghost a congregant member or whatever. Um, oh, you and, can. It well, you can. Well it doesn't sometimes. work out so well. Yeah. Uh, but it's so like my motivation for the work is just trying to make that connection. And then once you make that connection, then the work of following up and building on it. And to me, it doesn't, doesn't even enter in my mind in that initial connection that, oh, what this person ends up being like weird and um because i don't know because i guess maybe for me the the payoff is always worth it compared to when i can connect with someone and and develop that relationship that it that it's not a big deal in the the leading up but then it becomes like a a exhausting after um think about the people who really port and i and i'm saying this to everyone not just you think about the people who have really like made relationship worth it Maybe you only have like one or two people that come to mind, but think about how good that is and how much, how much you treasure that. And like, remember it is worth it to risk. It is worth it to look like an idiot 
to be the one that gets rejected or to say something stupid or to share too much. I think it's always worth it. You just have to do it over and over. I I don't know if I fully agree with that in the sense that <laughs> I'm not I'm fine with not oversharing. <laughs> so maybe that's my anxiety leading up to it is that I just want to make sure am I sharing too much? Am I not sharing enough? And maybe maybe holding back a little bit and trying to Although I feel like if I'm asked questions, I'm pretty like right. I'm not I'm not the type of person that'll say yes. No. Hmm, maybe. There's that one time. You know what I mean? Like I, I'm not short answers. Like I just feel like if I get someone to engage, then it's more comfortable for me because I feel like, okay, I've been I've been invited in. To me, a question is an inviting in of and I'm I guess I'm like a social vampire, right? Like I'm not gonna enter in unless I'm invited. <laughs> because, <laughs> because I just <laughs> And I think that's attributed to like my shyness with maybe new people that I mentioned, unless I'm, unless I'm entering the place into authority, maybe that's why I was attracted to being in ministry. Because if I'm, if I go to a church and I'm in a place of that, then I have, I feel like I have more confidence to move into that place. But if it's a level playing yeah. field, I feel like I have to be invited. Hmm. That's, that's why my family's so friendly is we don't feel like we do. We feel like everybody's family and just <laughs> nobody's a stranger. My grandpa never, never been a stranger, which has its own, you know. Uh, ups and downs or whatever. Oh, but, yeah. I'm sure family <laughs> dynamics are a big reason the, on the why and why we don't approach social right. situations in different ways. I, I've noticed just like a one last comment for me on something you said earlier. You you talked about being asked questions. I've been on the opposite side of that equation where I ask people questions about their lives just out of curiosity and I show interest in their lives at like almost every point in my day and people are routinely surprised almost always they're surprised if someone sees them as a human being or cares like say i'm at a checkout line in target or something and i'm like hey how long have you been on for today you know like how long have you been working today kind of thing how, how long have you been here for and they're almost always like oh it's six hours and then their total demeanor changes because suddenly they're a human being with like a story and needs and like <laughs> reasons for the things that they do rather than looking at them like a machine. And it's sad that it's oddly refreshing when people show an interest in them. You right. Know? Right. That's and a tragedy. Just as refreshing when people reciprocate that interest, you know, because <laughs> yeah, usually it stops there. <laughs> <no> hurt there. <laughs> like I said, friends is a cry for help. It is. That's, that's where I'm at. It is. Well, we, we want to hear, we are inviting you into the conversation. We want to hear what you think because we know that our framework for friendship is is you know somewhat niche because of mm -hmm. our place in life and because of our like family dynamics, but most importantly because of our position in leadership. Uh, so we'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can go to the show notes at irenacast.com slash 116. That's com slash 116 or comment on our Facebook page. Or if you go to our website, you'll see a little – little red bar that you click on. You can record your thoughts about friendships and your longing for them or how you've maintained them or give us some advice on how we can approach these different things and uh, really, you know, join the conversation for this particular episode. Yeah. Uh, if you ever wanted to be on a podcast, this is your opportunity. Yeah. Record yourself talking. Tell us something about friendships. You could read a, you could read a poem about friendships. That would be super cool. Or tell us about a, a friendship that just meant a lot to you and why it did. And we're going to splice that stuff together and we'll share it with everyone. So absolutely. Go record something. Yeah. This is, this is a, a platform that we want to, you know, like we've talked about cultivate story, like legitimately cultivate You're story. You're being invited in like right. a vampire. Exactly. <laughs>
Come, uh, <laughs> I was going to say suck blood or something, but that doesn't <laughs> seem appropriate. No, it doesn't. This is my in the bad. context of communion. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, so lend your voice to this conversation. And then always in the show notes, you'll find all the ways you can reach the show and us individually and all that kind of stuff. So we're going to continue this theme of friendship. And on the other side of the music, we're going to do a top three. And we'll be doing top three duos or groups in anything like real life media, literature, all that good stuff. So stay tuned for that. So every now on the show for our segment, we like to do a top three just to kind of let people know a little bit about the things that we're interested in. And we thought it would be a good thematic link to do our top three famous like friends or duos or groups in, you know, we talked a lot about how I met your mother and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, there's certain, certain comedic duos or dramatic duos that we really connect with. So we'd figure we'd give our top three. So Alan, let's, let's start with you. Let's just, let's just get, right I think, into it. I think we're going to have this, this one is going to be the same. I think the other two, I've got my own, but this one, I think you've written down probably too, because everyone has to, it's a better love story than twilight Turk and JD from scrubs from scrubs that's an honorable mention for me it just missed really? out on my top three. Oh, they're so um the love between those guys the shared silliness the shared collaboration when they're working on things because one's a surgeon and one's a medical doctor and sometimes they i would say 90 percent they're just being goofy all the time and then 10 percent they're actually collaborating on stuff but they're uh they're great. I love it. That imaginative friendship. It is. It is a good and, one. Like bromance. Yes, the the almost maybe the stereotypical or the textbook bromance, Turk, Turk and JD. I remember I think it was like the second or third season after he comes home Turk comes home from his honeymoon and like JD sees him from the window and he's down at the the bottom floor of the hospital and then like it's like just 5 minutes of them running all over the hospital and peeking out <laughs> at different windows <laughs> and trying to find each other. Yeah, I love it. It's so great. That that the thing about their friendship that I love is JD's neediness because like that plays off so well in their relationship. Oh. Uh, so that would be, that would be you in the relationship. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Yeah, that's a good one. Just just miss my top 3. I agree with that. Coming into this, I picked mine. I tend to overthink these things because obviously I'm a big fan of pop culture, movies, television, talk about it all the time. Started another podcast doing that. Like this is this is my place, right? You will mention obscure <laughs> theologians from, you know, the fifth century or whatever, and I will mention obscure Just references obscure. to some Bridget's legit, dude. <laughs> <laughs> obscure maybe to the to the uninformed, like myself. Okay. Um and I'll do the same thing with pop culture, like television, movies, whatever. So when I approached this, I was like, okay, I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to like do the whole, what's it called when you say something, free association? No. Where you just say it and like first thing that come to your mind and then you just say it. So these are all yeah. like the things that just popped out. So the first one for me is Robin Big, uh, Rob Deerdeck and Big Black. Nice. Uh, rest in peace. And I just, I, I'm not a skater. <laughs> I don't know anything. Like I typically didn't even like MTV shows or whatever, but for some reason I started watching this, 
the show because of a youth student that said, Hey, you should check this out. And I just, I fell in love with it. It's just random quasi reality show of this pro skater and his bodyguard and all the random adventures they have. And I just <laughs> their relationship. I mean, the whole theme song is like, let me tell you about my best friend. And I just, I always think of them when I think of like fun duos that I'd want to like hang out with and, and be a part of. They are the kind definition of, of fun. Both of those guys. They're fantastic together. That's true. Is that early 2000s? It just sounds early 2000s. A pro skater and his bodyguard form an unlikely friendship. <laughs> right? Oh, no. It was, it was 2006 was the first episode. Really? Yeah. Wow. Well, that makes me feel a little less old. That's nice. That's a nice surprise. But yeah, I love Jeff, it. That was 12 years ago. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, but I guess that at some point they had a falling out in real life. And then when he, Rob Dyrdek started his other show, I think it was in the third season, they they reunited and there were some good times. I think it was called Fantasy Factory or something like that. So, but Robin Big, I have fond memories of that show. I haven't watched it in a while, but I loved, I love that duo. So that's my number three, Robin Big. That's great. My number two, um, I actually don't, I identify a little bit with JD, but this person is, I think out of all the duos in existence, this is who I am the most. And it may surprise you. I don't know. Uh, Frodo and Samwise Gouji. Oh, yes. Lord of the Rings. Wait, are you Frodo like or Samwise? Sam okay. Samwise. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love, everyone needs a Samwise, dude. I mean, he's always trying to talk sense into Frodo, right? Like telling him not to be risky, trying to like keep him back in the Shire, try, but goes along anyway and cares about him. And it's always like that really, you always need that really good friend that really has your best interests in mind, you know? And you have to kind of convince to do all the risky stuff, but. But they're just gold on the inside. They're right there. So Every I, single friendship sermon I gave as a youth pastor, I used the last scene of Lord of the Rings to illustrate it. Every time <laughs> where he like goes so after cool. him in the water and they hops in the boat and they go off on for the rest of the two movies. Every time I use that clip, I have it still on my computer ready to go for an illustration if I ever wanted to use it. You know what? We're recording this before the Sunday. I'm going to use it this Sunday. So I was <laughs> going to talk about relationships and friendships and stuff. And creating community. Um, it's a wonderful I'm scene. I'm going to use it. That Thanks, and Jeff. then the the third movie where he's like, he carries him up Mordor. Yes. that that Those two scenes right there, I think, are like. Those two scenes are fantastic. Got to use them. <laughs> yeah. So I think of Samwise Gaunji. Plus, I love that actor because I grew up watching Rudy. Where he, <laughs> uh, we've had so that's, a, that's a generational before. divide right there. I think of him in terms of Mikey from the Goonies and you think nice. Rudy. <laughs> So I did see Goonies a few times as a kid, but Rudy was our like family movie. So I, I hate that movie so much. <laughs> He's like, an underdog. I, I so I rewatched it and I did not like it. And I told my family and that was a really big mistake. Oh no. Honestly, like I, I said crazy things over the years, right? I've, I used to be evangelical and now I'm this crazy liberal, whatever. And I talked to my family and I'm always unabashed and I love everybody and love sharing myself. I've never had – see, even my dog's upset. I've never had as much judgment from anyone in my family as when I said Rudy wasn't that good. I said it while we are eating, and literally everybody stopped. They, like, right. dropped forks and stuff and looked at me, and I was like, dude. <laughs> yeah, it's it's amazing to me. Like, even personalities that all follow on Twitter, or even myself, the vitriol that comes if you trash someone's pop culture icon – is way worse than if it's like you're attacking them politically or anything else. Just the make fun of my mom, come out, right? Not my movies, man. <laughs> right, exactly. 
So what you're telling me is your family would rather you lose your relationship with Jesus than Absolutely. not like Rudy anymore. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> they're like, they're like, we can kind of put up with him, you know, being liberal and reading the Bible differently and stuff and voting maybe third party, but definitely not giving up on Rudy. Right. Cause... But don't trash a movie about a little man who's patronized by an entire team. Totally. <laughs> not just patronized, but like, dude. Oh, man. That. Yeah. That was rough. Yeah, not a fan of that movie, and I, I get why some people like it, but to me, it was just like, yeah. Anyway, all right, my number two is um, a real-life duo that I have all good memories of that have collaborated across many different things, and it is Amy Poehler and Tima, Tina Fey. Started yeah. on the news together on SNL, they've done a couple of movies together, and anytime they are on screen, I love it. Especially when they did the whole like Sarah Palin, Hillary Clinton thing a few years back. I just, to me, like, like the ultimate duo right there. To, the, the reason I like them, now that you say that, is that they're both so confident and well-defined in who they are on their own that their comfortability together is like, it's just great. You know what I mean? You could take either one of them and put them on the camera and they're this like really confident, um, well-versed comedic actress but together it's like they know that they're both like that so their friendship is one of like mutuality like they're real peers you know they're comfortable with each other i, I love those two right it's pretty it's a good one think of that it's a beautiful a good thing one. so my top one you ready for this top duo of of pop culture of all time the kivy the giving tree and the little boy oh I've never, I've never even seen it. I don't even you know. Never, you never read The Giving Tree? No. Nope. The one where this kid in childhood befriend, befriends a tree and uh, climbs in her trunk and swings from her branches and carves, like, his name into her, like, trunk or whatever. Like, me plus T, which stands for tree. And he, like, eats her apples and oh, stuff. Oh, I've never read it, but cat. And then as he grows older, he comes back and, like... <laughs> <laughs> he spends less time with the tree, but he just shows up every now and then. And he's like, Hey, I need one of your branches to, uh, build, you know, something. And then slowly cuts down the trees. He grows older to take everything from her until he's this old man. Uh, and the tree's like always giving parts of itself. Um, then he needs to you know, sell apple money for his app for the apples. He needs to build a house from the branches, a bro boat from her trunk. And then, uh, it always says with every page that the tree was happy. <laughs> That's your number one? That's awful. The reason I know about that is because I've never read it personally, but my wife recently was having a conversation with her mother about that tree because they read it when she was a kid, and she was getting ready to read it to the girls, and she was like, this is awful. Like, I don't want my kids learning this. (laughs) That seems so awful to me. And so finally, um, she can't give anything left to to the old man, right? Because she's already given everything. And so all he wanted... At that point in his life, he didn't need anything from her. He just needed a quiet place to sit and rest. And so it says the tree was happy when he sits down on her as an old man. And uh, the reason I love that duo is because it's a cautionary tale for every relationship in my life. (laughs) Whoa. It just got like... I'm glad that I'm going last. I don't want to end on that one. (laughs) You don't want to end on that note because Alan was happy that we were, Jeff. Alan was happy. Oh man, dude! Uh, a lot of my, <laughs> a lot of my relationships have been codependent in the past, and I've talked about that. But like, the tree's happy every time the boy uses something, you know, and has no need and no reci- recipro- reciprocity. And uh, 
And and it's what? Sad. Yeah, it is very sad. <laughs> it's not. Oh, and I'm sure that that's framed as like the ultimate right sign of love or whatever or sign of love over time that you still are great friends even though you don't. You know, and you're always giving. What I think, honestly, when I read that book, though, that's abuse. I, I think about, I think about uh, parents and children, like your kids. Constantly, you're supporting them, right? Like physically, financially. Right, but for like but like way. towards a path of independence, not like towards a path of of lifelong <laughs> no, self reliance. It, it is it is toward a a path of independence because the kid stops showing up unless he needs something. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, and I'm, then you sit on their tombstone, the inheritance that you get from your you know. I'm your with my wife ancestors. on that one. That is not. That is not fun. Oh man. Wow, how that that I mean, hey, you didn't say top good duos. You just true. said top duos. True. Okay. <laughs> Touche. I'll give you that. <laughs> I should have clarified. I should have known better than to- <laughs> You should have known better. <laughs> this is on you, dude. <laughs> it is. I'm gonna if I if I have the opportunity I, I to am the giving tree in this situation. Okay. <laughs> 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 I feel like that I feel like that should be a clip that gets played on every episode from now on. <laughs> Jeff, you should make a shirt that's dude, we should make a shirt that says that and sell it on uh, our website. I I am the giving tree in this situation. <laughs> I'm I'm going to make that shirt. I'm going to do it. That's good stuff. Well, Jeff, I'm sorry you have to be the giving tree. Give us one last piece of goodness by telling us your top duo of all time. Okay. So I had a tough time with this one, but I'm going top duo, and I'm gonna I'm gonna list my honorable mentions after because I have a little long list of them. Um, but why don't you list them before you want? Okay, here are my honorable mentions. Okay, so my honorable mentions are uh, Craig and Smokey from the movie Friday, uh, Cheech and Chong, Batman and Superman, uh, Turk and JD, like I mentioned before, and then Troy and Abed from Community. Those are my my honorable mentions. Um, but my number one, Sean and Gus from Psych, yeah, is my great. number one duo. Just hours of entertainment for me. If you've never seen it before, it might not age super well, but it's still really funny. Good, good comedy. Came around right around the same time as Monk on the USA Network. Uh, it's all streaming on Amazon Prime if you're interested or if you've seen it. Uh, but Sean and Gus, I love the duo. To me, that's like you know when we think when we have this long conversation about like longing, what you want friendships to be. Uh, just that like mischievous, that mischievousness of like a good relationship where you get into trouble with each other and all that kind of stuff. I just, it's so funny. And then all the references are like geared towards my, I don't know, age group or pop culture influence era or whatever you want to call it. But Sean and Gus from Psych, my absolute favorite duo of all time. Almost as good as the giving tree, little boy. <laughs> oh, man. Pretty close. No. <laughs> It's subjective. Hey, but that's the most memorable duo of all time. You ask any of our listeners, you put a poll up and they'll be like, yeah, I remember the giving tree because I was scarred by it as a child. I'd be curious to find out what other people's favorite duos are. So if you're listening, let us know on any one of our platforms that we mentioned before. Uh, so I think that'll do it for us this week. Alan, how can people find you on the interwebs? Tonight I am doing... The intersections thing. This is uh this episode's being posted on Tuesday, April seventeenth, and starting at 
6.30 p.m. at the Monk Cellar in Roseville. If you are uh, an ex-evangelical or an unfundamentalist type in your spirituality, and or maybe you're going through a process of figuring out where you're at and you want other people to talk to about that, we're meeting up and having a little bit of food. This week we're discussing um, the duality that comes from sacred and secular, being told like the self or the body or whatever it is is bad and God is good. And there's a split between that and how for some of us, struggling to see ourselves as essentially good, like a part of creation and creation being particularly good, um, helping us move in, in better and more healthy ways. Join us 6.30 and then afterward, you can feel free to have a beer with me or just get to know me a little bit and, and we can talk. So that'll be happening tonight. And if you are not in that particular area, we have an episode on the sacred and the secular that you can check in the show notes. I don't remember it offhand, but check the show notes and you can you can participate in in spirit. <laughs> Love it. Uh, and all of Alan's other information is in the show notes, all the ways to follow him. You can follow me on all the socials at Jeff Manildi and on the second and fourth Thursday of every month. Um, you can listen to my other podcast, Divine Cinema, where we talk about movies with themes of faith. And we actually took a break last month and we're coming back this Thursday and uh, you can check it out then. So, And as for Iranicast, if you enjoy what you hear... Recommend us to a friend or leave a rating and review on any platform that you are listening on. We would really appreciate it. Uh, you'll hear a lot of other podcasts say it helps them in their rankings and all that kind of stuff. But more than anything, we just want to hear from you. <laughs> we just want to know that we're resonating in some way with with our listeners. And uh, if you want to take your support of the show to the next level, consider going to com slash Amazon before you make your next purchase. And then just shop as usual. Using that link will receive a small percentage of your purchase without any extra cost to you. That'll help us a little bit in covering some of the costs associated with the podcast. That's irenacast.com slash Amazon. So for this week, I'm Jeff, the social vampire. I'm Alan, your soul friend forever. Oh, I was hoping you'd go Lord meme. Anyway. <laughs> Lord and the Lord meme. <laughs> Exactly. It's not creepy. <laughs> it's not creepy at all. Not at all. Not at all. Thanks for joining the conversation. Mm-hmm.